F1 returns to the desert of Qatar for the second ever Qatar Grand Prix. An F1 break check has everything you need to know about what went down this weekend. We'll have a very brief history of the track. We'll talk about something near and dear to Corey and I, telemetry in our tech corner. And we'll break down the mayhem and celebrations from this weekend. Coming up next on F1 Break Check. Welcome. You are listening to F1 Break Check. The epic podcast for all things Formula One, where we discuss technology, history, news, and perspective. With your hosts, Scott Vick and Corey Green. We're back with F1 Break Check. With me, as always, is my intrepid co-host, Corey Brune. Corey, how you doing, my friend? Good. We were talking just before the podcast started. It's uh, It's been a week already. Yes. Uh, just one of those weeks. Yes. Know, coming it has in, been brutal. Firing off on all cylinders and just had to work over the weekend, getting a, a couple of apps out the door. So it's it's been a week, man. I, I, I'm looking forward to this next weekend. Hopefully, I don't have to work again. <laughs> yeah hopefully so how about you yeah it's just been very brutal a couple of weeks work lots of stuff going down and just busy 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 just a lot of stuff that's not in my control but yet i'm having to deal with it and everything so it's just whatever yeah. so right. <laughs> i am i am ready for this weekend uh, i know that we have plans to uh go uh enjoy some food and uh some whiskey and some cigars this weekend so I am looking forward to that, and uh, I can't come quite soon enough for me. I'm yeah. very much looking forward to that. Hey, great weekend this last weekend at Qatar. It ended up being a very interesting weekend, despite everything. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, so we'll go into the, the history of the Qatar Grand Prix real quick. So this was actually only the second year at Qatar. I don't know why. It seems like they've been racing there longer, but yes, it was no. only the second time ever. And uh, the first year was 2021 when it was added as a replacement for the Australian Grand Prix during the COVID year. It's only the third night race in Formula One. We can't count Abu Dhabi because that one actually starts in the daylight and and finishes under the lights. So uh, I don't consider that a true quote unquote night race. (laughs) So this is, uh, so Qatar is the third night race. It's a very interesting track in the fact that it has only one true straightaway, but it does have mostly very, very high speed corners. It's very, very gentle on the brakes. It's kind of a medium downforce track. And there's only one DRS zone because there is only one true straightaway on the track. But the straightaway itself is along the pit straight is actually just a little over a kilometer long. So it's one of the longer front straightaways on the calendar. First year was won by Lewis Hamilton, one of the races that took and helped tighten up the points race before sending it to the finale at Abu Dhabi that year in which Max was triumphant, but it was still a very close fight between Lewis and Max that year. Now, one of the things to note is that we are in early October and with the race being held this weekend, the first race was actually held in November and that will become significant as we talk later on when we get to the news section. So, but just keep that in mind. All right, so let's go on to our tech corner. This is something that's very near and dear to Corey and I's heart, telemetry. We're going to talk about computers and their use in Formula One and how important it's become over the decades. Telemetry, in a nutshell, is collecting data from the cars and how they are performing. Originally in Ken Tyrrell, one of the great innovators in Formula One, in 1978, hired a Goodyear engineer to rig up the cars to start collecting telemetry. He wanted to be able to take and collect things like suspension travel, wheel spin, different elements of the car itself, such as like throttle and braking and things like that. But at that time, the semiconductors couldn't handle the heat and vibrations that the Formula One cars were producing. So the Goodyear engineer, he rigged up a series of sensors and then used tape recorders to record the data from those sensors, and then was able to take those tape recordings and was able to translate them into actual data. So fast forward a few years, semiconductors come a long way, computer chips become much more robust, they're able to handle the heat and the vibrations better, and so the telemetry started to evolve, and they started putting more and more sensors on the cars. They were now able to track things like braking temperatures, wheel temperatures, temperatures of the engines, increase the ability to track the throttle and the braking response. 
which became very important for the drivers because they could take actually take the data of one driver and overlay the data from another driver so a driver so the drivers could actually look at the telemetry and say oh well, I'm losing time to my teammate here because I'm getting onto the brakes earlier. I'm getting onto the brakes half a second earlier, or I'm coming off the brakes a half a second later, which means I'm overslowing the car, or I'm not getting onto the throttle here, or I'm getting too much wheel spin coming out of this corner. And it allowed the drivers to take, it gave them better insight into where they were doing well on the track and where they, they were, were lacking and needed improvement. Late 80s, early 90s, most of the cars had somewhere, you know, around 30 to 40 sensors on the car. They they were judging everything from, like I said, things like suspension travel, pitch and yaw on the car, temperatures at various points around the car, to some degree tire degradation, but not so much as they are now. And I'll explain to that here in just a moment. And at that time, because broadband was not as widely available, usually what they were doing is they were, the teams would actually have racks of servers that they would load up onto the trucks along with the cars and everything. And when they got to the track, the DAGs, or which stand, stands for Data Acquisition Geeks, which were, these were the guys who were responsible for the telemetry and the computers that ingested all the telemetry data and then spit it back out for the teams to analyze, they would actually roll these racks of servers off of the trucks, put them in the back of the garage. And at that time, only a certain number of the sensors were actually sending data back to the garage. Uh, the rest of the data all had to be uh, collected from the car. Once it got back to the garage, they would actually plug a cable into the side of the car and they would dump all the data into a laptop. And then that laptop would then take and feed it into the servers. Time rolls on, broadband gets better and better. Number of sensors starts to increase to the point now where there are literally several hundred sensors and not just sensors that are measuring the various pieces of the car. They actually have sensors on different parts, aerodynamic parts of the car, so they can actually tell how efficient the aerodynamics are. So earlier this year at Spa, when Carlos Sainz got speared by... Piastri, that's how the Ferrari was actually able to say, okay, you've got damage and you're only getting like 60 or I think, I think it was either like 40 or 60% of your aerodynamic efficiency. Your aerodynamic efficiency has been compromised and that's why they decided to retire the car is because they actually have sensors on different parts of the body work itself. A lot of times you'll hear over the radio, you'll hear a driver say, hey, I think I've got damage and you'll hear the team say, we're checking. Well, that's what they're checking is they're checking the telemetry on the car to see okay, can we spot where the damage is at? Is it, you know, a front wing that might have been compromised because he got ran up the back end of, of another car or another car's wheel hit the uh, wing or it hit the side pod and it tore a hole through the side pod. So now the aerodynamic efficiency is reduced. That's how the teams can actually tell. That's how they can tell if there's a problem with the floor because they actually have sensors attached to various parts of the floor and they can tell if the floor has been damaged. And actually in 2019, Mercedes actually started embedding small infrared cameras in the bodywork that's actually pointed at the tires where they can actually get and they can actually see in real time the heat on all four of the tires as well as other components of the car. And a lot of the other teams have also implemented these infrared cameras now so that they can not not only do they have the sensors that are measuring the heat but they can actually see in real time the sensor may only be able to tell them that the tire is running at a hundred and something degrees celsius or you know or a couple hundred degrees fahrenheit but they can actually look at the tires and see the heat map to say oh he's got a hot spot or he's, you know, the, the sensor itself can't tell, but they can tell from looking at this infrared camera that, hey, there's a problem or a suspension component is overheating because it's been compromised and things like that. So, <laughs> and also because of the advancements in broadband and specifically satellite broadband, back in the late 80s and 90s, the cars were producing somewhere between 10 to 15 gigabytes of data over the course of a, of a weekend. And then as the number of sensors increased, of course, the amount of data increased. So now they're producing somewhere between one to two terabytes of data per weekend. Massive. And But what once required a rack of servers at the back of the garage, they still have the racks of servers. All of the sensors are beaming back their information back to the garage during when the car's out on track. But once the car gets back to the garage, they still 
will manually connect a cable and download everything that's collected by the car in case a particular sensor stops sending its data back or if the sensor or if the data got compromised, corrupted as it was being sure. sent back to the garage, sure. they still have this as a backup that they can then upload into the servers. But in addition to having an army of DAGs every weekend that were responsible for managing the servers, managing all of the laptops and everything else, they've been able to reduce that down to one or two engineers that are managing the computers and everything. And all of that data is now being beamed back to all of the team's individual factories. And all of the teams now actually have what they refer to as war rooms, where they will have 15 to 20 data acquisition engineers who are literally studying data in real time that's being beamed back to the war rooms so that they can evaluate. They can also have more computing power at their disposal so that they can take, they can crunch those numbers and they can relay them back to the pit wall to say, hey, you need to look at this. We're, we've spotted this because there's so much data being gathered that the engineers and the team principals who are sitting out on the pit wall, they can only look at so much at a, at a particular time. And they're usually more focused on to, okay, where's the car out on track? Where is the, their opponents and the other teams located at on the track? They're watching things like the weather to know if there's rain coming. As we saw earlier this year at Zanfor, all of the teams had their own weather radar that they were watching so that they could predict relatively quickly that we're expecting rain in five minutes and we're expecting it to last, you know, five to seven minutes. That's how come they were able to do that. And that's, again, all part of this telemetry and all of the data that the teams are collecting from all these sources so it's literally there are people who uh, have who, who couldn't turn a wrench to save their life. They're not mechanics because of their knowledge of computers and infrastructure and things like that. They've actually been able to make great careers in Formula One without ever having to, to turn a wrench. <laughs> and they're very much integral parts of the team because without all of this telemetry and data, they wouldn't know how to make those improvements to the car because an engineer... Even the best engineer can only tune the car to a certain degree based upon what the driver's telling him and what the driver's feedback is. But once you add in all of this telemetry that they are collecting from the cars along with what the driver is telling you. So, but it also could take and catch the drivers out because there's been a number of famous stories about, uh, you know, a driver will come into the pit saying, oh, I'm going through this corner flat. And they're looking at the telemetry and going, nope. You're not. <laughs> we can see where you're lifting right here, or we can see where you're only at 90% throttle right here. You're oh. not flat out in that corner. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or conversely, they're saying, I'm not getting enough braking in this particular corner. And they can look at it and go, yeah, you're not stomping on the pedal hard enough. You need to go, you need to press harder on the pedal here because you're wow. not <laughs> because of all this. So <laughs> there's been a number of stories like that. there's also been some very famous stories when Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg had become such bitter rivals that they literally were not sharing telemetry data anymore. Um, wow. So it was literally almost like the two sides of the garage were being treated as individual teams because the rift had become so great between Hamilton and Rossberg that they were not sharing telemetry data. They were not sh sharing setup data, nothing. The lack of telemetry can also end up causing issues. So there you go. There's telemetry in a nutshell. <laughs> Let's move on to news. All right. So another great weekend for the Red Bulldozer. Just half of the team. Good news yeah, for half, half the, the team. team. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Great weekend for half the team. The other half, not so much. Great weekend for Max's side of the garage that he finished second in the sprint race and Checo got punted off into the gravel trap. And so therefore it cemented Max's third world driver's championship. So it really cemented his legacy in the sport because that puts him on par with some of the greats of Formula One that puts him on par with Sir Jackie Stewart. That puts him on par with the late Ayrton Senna and a number of other drivers. It puts him definitely up in the pantheon of the great drivers in Formula One. And then just to put a cherry on top of it, he then takes and storms it out and storms to pole for the race on Sunday and leads almost flag to flag during the race on Sunday. He comes out behind Botas, but that was only because Botas had not pitted yet. So he only, Botas only led, I, I want to say it was only maybe one, maybe two laps and then Verstappen resumed the lead and never looked back. 
The other side of the garage, not so much a great weekend. It seems like he's sliding back again. And whether or not that's because of his stress or because they're uh, you know the setup isn't correct or whatever that is, he's just not himself. No, we, we it really is. On the I mean, last, actually, on the preview, we were talking about how. Checo just isn't driving like Checo. It's yeah. obvious that whether it's something inside of him or it's something that Red Bull just isn't giving him any attention now because it just looks like it's maybe feeding on itself, right? Where mm -hmm. he's not doing well, so Red Bull gives him a little bit less. He doesn't do well again. Red Bull gives him a little bit less attention, and he just does not seem like... Because you have, you have Max, who's getting everything out of that car. He's first place and in fact at points in the, in the race he was almost 30 seconds above second place and then you have Checo who was 13th at one point yeah I know he, he finished better than that but not much there's a large chasm between him Checo and Max yeah what are your thoughts on where his where he's going and I mean do you think that Red Bull's pretty much written him off at this point? I don't think that on the whole, no, I don't think that they've written him off. I think that they're still very much behind him going into the future. Unless something dramatically changes, I don't see them, I see him still being the driver at, the second driver at Red Bull at the start of next season. Now, whether or not he'll make it through the whole season, that has yet to be seen. But that's, I'm not going to speculate on that just yet. But as of Right now, yes, I do think that they have put all of their resources into Max and his side of the garage. They've left Checo hanging in the wind. He had a horrible qualifying, only made it to Q2. Now, part of that was is that he did get one of his fastest laps deleted for exceeding track limits, which we're going to get into the track limit crap later on. He has a mediocre at best qualifying. He goes out for the sprint shootout qualifying qualifies eight so it's only marginally better than what he did during the qualifying for the race he then goes out in the sprint gets punted off into the gravel trap you had Ocon on the outside you had Hulkenberg in the middle and Checo on the inside going into the corner and three would not go into one and there was collision sends both Hulkenberg and Checo off into the gravel trap Hulkenberg's able to drive through but it ends up beaching Checo, so he doesn't even finish the sprint on race weekend. You know, he has yet more issues, has to start from the pit lane. At that point, it's just an uphill fight from having to start from the pit lane. For him to come home in 10th place and to actually get a point out of the weekend, it was a pretty gutsy drive on race weekend. And there was several times where he was way down in the order. He was stuck behind other cars. You know, at one point he was stuck behind, I believe it was Albon or Sargent for several laps before he was finally able to get around them. It was just an altogether forgettable weekend. Now that Max has cemented the driver's championship. I do think that Red Bull will start focusing on Checo a little more in trying to help him make sure that he stays in number two in the driver's championship. Gotcha. Um, I think that now that they're really going to want to focus on making sure he maintains his position, he's kind of lost his way and the, the team has let that happen. Now that driver's championship is theirs, constructor's championship is theirs, now it's all a matter of bringing him home in second place. And I think that even to the degree that they might even, you know, if it comes right down to it, they might even have to have Max play support role for Checo just in order to keep him in second place. Because yeah. I don't think we want to see, I don't think Red Bull wants to see a repeat of last year where Checo missed out on P2 in the driver's championship to Leclerc right. just simply because other external issues. So yeah. Exactly. That's that's my two cents on it. So on to McLaren. Oh, wow. What a weekend for weekend. McLaren. Oh, my gosh. Qualifying aside, because of the stupid track limits crap, either the FIA is going to have to change their rules around the track limits infractions or something's going to have to change with the cars. I don't, I'm not sure what. But this whole track limits thing specifically, you know, when, when you start getting the, it, there are certain tracks that we seem to see a lot more of this exceeding track limits penalties coming down than others, that maybe it's time to look at, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is right now. I don't even have a suggestion for what needs to happen, but something needs to happen. But anyway, 
that all being aside, this was a fantastic weekend for McLaren. Other than qualifying, I believe it was 7th and 10th during qualifying for the race. They had a really great qualifying for the sprint shootout. Much, much better. I believe Oscar Piastri qualifies on pole for the sprint. Lando is second, Max is in third. How often have we seen that this year? In the shootout, Piastri, I mean, I know we keep, I, I'm, I think, I really do believe that we are starting to run out of superlatives for <laughs> just how impressive this kid has been once he has gotten the car that he needed to, that in his rookie season, he wins the sprint race. I mean, it's just incredible. He really had full command of the field during the sprint race. So just kudos on him. Yeah. Your thoughts? We're seeing a, another Vettel in the making or mm-hmm. Verstappen or name your, your superstar, right? He yes, is Hamilton. This, Hamilton, yeah. He's just yes. phenomenal. And like you said, yeah. this is his rookie season and he's yes. already doing this. He's not susceptible yeah. to the pressures and the why didn't you do this from the media and all the stupid questions that they ask he's really singly focused wanting to win pushing hard where he where he needs to and like you said he has that car now that can support his abilities it's phenomenal yes. yeah earlier this year when the mclarens were not going well and everything yeah. we kind of questioned was yeah. piastri the right move over Danny rick yeah And I think we have answered that, that yes, he was the right choice. He and Lando both, they didn't have the car that they needed to showcase their talents that they have now. Lando was able to do more with less, mostly because of his experience, having already been in Formula One for a number of years, that experience is what allowed him to gather a few points during the first few races during the early part of the season when Piastri was really struggling only because the car was so bad. And then once they brought the the new spec car online at Austria, it has just been lights out for both of them ever since then. I just can't say enough about them. But one thing that I heard, I believe it was Kravitz who said that with Piastri, we're no longer talking about a star of the future. We're talking about a star of today, now, right. because he is just, he has come on so strong. And I mean, and he's really pushing Lando, who we have all said for some time that given the right equipment, he is a future world champion. And I think that Piastri is right up there that he, and he's pushing Lando now, which I think is doing wonders for Lando. But Piastri has such a level of maturity as well, though, I think is just another reason that he is able to push where he needs to and back off where he needs to. And he is just going to be, he's going to be a star for many, many years to come. The other thing that I want to talk about is Norris saying that he had to follow team orders. He could have passed Piastri, no doubt about it. He had the pace. He's in fact, he set the fastest lap uh, multiple times. There's no doubt. Yes. I can't stand when they have team orders like that, especially team orders that don't make a whole lot of sense. Why not let these two battle it out or give preference to Norris. He has more points. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I agree to a certain, well, I, I, I agree that I don't like the team orders, but I understand the reasoning behind them. Yeah. Although I think that what the team should have done is the team should have let Lando buy. They should have told Piastri yeah. to let him buy, let him run a couple laps, see if he could start cutting into Right. Max's lead. If after a couple laps, he was basically holding station to Max and was not cutting into Max's lead, then swap positions back and let Piastri have the, the better position at the end because he ran a better race. But yeah. they should have at least given Lando the opportunity to try to exactly. improve the car because Lando over the week, you know, one of his comments after the race was, is that if he had not qualified, if it had not been for his fastest lap getting deleted during qualifying that during the race, he really thinks that they had the car to win. And after watching it, I really think that they may have, they, I yeah. think that they are seriously nipping right behind Red Bull. I really do think that Lando may, if he had qualified higher and not had to work his way through traffic, I really do think that Lando had the car to win. You still got to admire the results that even though they didn't give the team order to tell Piastri to let Lando buy at any point, and he was told to hold station, 
second and third, basically the top steps of the podium has belonged to Max and the two McLaren drivers for the last yeah. several weeks. For the sprint race this weekend, for the, the full race this weekend, last weekend, Piastri was right there, you know, in Singapore. One or two things had gone their way. They could have also owned the podium. They've had so many years where they've been down that I knew, but I knew that because of all the resources and everything they had and the leadership that they have under Zach Brown, Zach Brown very much reminds me in a lot of ways of Ron Dennis. The only thing is, is that Ron Dennis was a little more cold in his public persona. He was always had a very cold and very exacting demeanor around the media and at the, at the racetrack. But he also had an attention to detail and he had the ability to get the absolute best out of everyone from the highest placed positioned engineer to the guy who swept up the garage at night. He had the ability to get the absolute best out of everybody. And I think that Zach Brown has that. He's much more jovial. He has a much warmer public persona, but he does have that same attention to detail and that same ability to get the absolute best out of everyone on the team. He's able to rally the troops. And in the couple of years, you know, and they had a long, don't get me wrong, they had a long ways to come when Zach took over. Yeah. But Zach has constantly chipped away and chipped away. And he and you've seen it over the years. The team has gotten better and better and better. And they've improved their station from where they were solidly back of the middle tier teams to where they're at now. If they had had this car at the beginning of the year, I think we would have seen a knockdown drag out fight between McLaren and Red Bull for not just the driver's championship, but the constructor's championship as well. Yeah. I think that they it would have been a much, much tighter fight between the two cars had they had this car. Oh, no doubt about it. At the beginning of the year, instead of coming yeah. on halfway through the year, which just excites the hell out of me for next year. year. Conceivably, Red Bull wouldn't have won the constructors yet, at least. Who yes. knows? You know, yeah, it, it would have been, been a much tighter fight. That is for yeah. sure. And I think that going into next year, it's going to be a much, much tighter fight at the top. It's going to be a fun year next year. Shall we move on to Mercedes? Uh, before we do, we have to talk about McLaren. Their pit stop was blazingly fast. Oh. Seconds, 1.8 seconds. I mean, even the other pit crews were all, all looking at like, oh my God, did that just happen? <laughs> yeah. Yes. It was amazing. That was it was. That was absolutely, I mean, absolutely shattered the record for yeah. fastest pit stop ever, which was held by Red Bull, Red Bull. For, yep. for a long time, um, which was, I believe it was like 1.9 seconds. So yeah. it shaved off almost a tenth of a second, which that's like, I mean, I know that that's like a blink of an eye, but right. it, when pit stops are measured in tenths of a second, that's just unbelievably amazing. The fact that they were yeah. able to pull that off. A tenth of a second is typically what wins or loses a podium. Pole position. Yeah, ex that's yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, like you said, a tenth of a second is just. I mean, it's it's imperceivable, but at the same time, at, you know, depending upon the situation, yeah. that can be an absolutely enormous goal. Right. Well, in F one, you know, it is. It yeah, exactly. In F one, everything's measured in tenths and sometimes thousandths of a second. <laughs> so you know, that's it's so literally, you know, one point eight seconds is incredible and kudos on mclaren for such an amazing feat to go along with their amazing weekend that's fantastic on them changing subjects to mercedes <laughs> sorry i can't <sighs> get it out without laughing oh i know not even turn one yes exactly not even turn one i mean yes he was at fault so yeah. okay so i will give him that and good on him for owning up to it saying yeah, I screwed up. It was totally on me for the accident. Thankfully, it rips off his rear wheel. So it basically ended his day. There was no limping back to the pits. His day was done. Thankfully, you know, at least Russell was able to continue, brings it into the pit, and then through really hard driving and through excellent pit strategy from the Mercedes garage, he was actually able to salvage quite a few points. Yeah. Was he ever going to get on the podium? Even without the accident, probably not because the McLaren and Max were just so strong this weekend. They're so much faster, yeah. And he qualified really well and everything, but I don't really think that a podium was in the cards for Russell. You do definitely have to commend him for his ability 
to make the best out of the situation and bring the car home and forth. He was almost 35 seconds down from Max. He was, what, 30-something seconds behind Lando. But I think for him to take the situation and be able to come away with as many points as what he did for Mercedes, I think really good weekend for him. Lewis would just as soon forget this weekend and move on to the U.S. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure he would. On to Ferrari. They had an interesting weekend. Interesting is, you know, one way of saying it. Yeah, Leclerc, it was nothing spectacular, nothing to write home about. Qualifies fifth for the Grand Prix, finishes fifth in the Grand Prix. So didn't gain any places, didn't lose any places, you know, and he wasn't, he was only what, four seconds off of Russell at the end. So, I mean, he was right there with Russell. Signs on the other hand, totally different story. Poor guy, he doesn't qualify well. Then they have a fuel issue. So he doesn't even get to start the Grand Prix itself. And then on the sprint, science ends up coming home sixth in the sprint. Leclerc comes home 12th in the sprint. So just not a great time during the sprint race. So just really kind of a mediocre weekend or downright bad if you're Carlos Sainz, a mediocre weekend all around at Ferrari. I think we can say officially say that Ferrari has given up on this season and now they're focusing on next year's car. Yep. Um, I think that they're going to just pretty much hold station because they've got a big enough lead in the Constructors Championship over their next rival in the standings in the Constructors Championship. They are third place right now. They're, what, 30-something points behind Mercedes. As long as Aston Martin doesn't make any significant improvements, I see them kind of holding station. Although, now that I say that, I hadn't looked at the points totals of late. I didn't realize that McLaren was now up to 219 points because they have come on so strong in the last few races, and they're 11 points behind Aston Martin. So I definitely have a, I'm pretty sure that they're going to jump Aston Martin into third, but with the points on offer and the mediocrity of Ferrari right now, they might very well jump up into third place behind Mercedes. I don't see them catching Mercedes before the end of the year, but I definitely think that they will jump Aston Martin and they very well may jump Ferrari. But so with that in mind, if McLaren starts getting within breathing distance of Ferrari, they might put a few more resources back into this year as opposed to focusing on next year's car. But that's just my two cents. That would be interesting to see. Since they're so close, it seems like that they would put a little bit of effort to try and get that third place. You would think so. With Aston being so eh, <laughs> of late. Mm-hmm. Beginning of the year, yeah, completely different. But now it's just... Yeah, totally different story this year but let's let's talk about it. so let's talk yeah. about Aston you know it's like Alonso had you know okay weekend it wasn't you know spectacular but didn't have a terrible weekend he qualified let's see qualifies fourth uh I think he came home I think either fifth or sixth in the in the race comes home sixth in the race so not a great weekend but could have been a whole lot worse for Alonso didn't have a great qualifying for the sprint though started nine came home eighth so not not a great weekend that's another team that I'm starting to question of whether how much development they're putting into this year's car and how much they have decided to go ahead and start focusing on next year's car because with the money and the infrastructure that daddy stroll has put into aston martin they don't have any excuse to be falling off this much unless they have decided that we can only do so much with this year's car and it's time to start focusing on next year's car and they're throwing all of those resources that they have at their disposal into next year's car Makes sense. You want to talk about Stroll? Yeah, so let's talk about Stroll. Now, the okay weekend, not great, but okay weekend that Alonso had, Stroll had the absolute opposite. He had an absolutely terrible qualifying session. He qualifies 17th, so he's out in Q1, gets back to the garage, basically has a temper tantrum, throws the wheel. As we talked about yeah. the steering wheels a couple of weeks ago, these wheels sometimes cost as much as 20,000 pounds each. And he's throwing that thing around like it's a toy. To him, it might be. That's pocket change. And then, you know, and then he takes, he punches the wall. 
pushes his physio, who his trainer, who is basically supposed to be his everything, his confidant, and he's even shoves him. Just a terrible weekend for Lance. You know, we've talked about at what point is the team going to have to make the hard decision right. to tell him either you quit on your own or we're going to force you out. We're going to have to bring in somebody else because you're just, you've had your fun. You've been at times competitive, but those times are few and far between. They're much more, the times that he's been competitive has been islands in a much larger sea of mediocrity to just downright not good. I don't want to say awful because as as I've said before, just because you have the money to get into Formula One and buy a seat doesn't necessarily mean that you can still do it. You still, because of the stipulations of the FIA and the super license and everything, you still have to be a pretty good driver to get a super license to get yourself into a seat in Formula One. Are there drivers out there that are not in Formula One who are either in reserve roles or who are in F2 or F3 who have enough points to get a super license who deserve are more deserving to be there? Yes, I think there absolutely are. The thing that I play in my mind is if this was anybody else, say, let's take out Stroll. Let's say this is Driver X and Driver X is performing exactly like Stroll is. Would you as a team replace that driver? And I think that within the past few years, we've seen other drivers perform at his level or maybe a little bit beneath and get replaced pre pretty quick. It definitely takes talent just to get into Formula One, but it also takes a special amount of talent to stay in F1, which I guess I'm not seeing that right now. And maybe this is part of the, of the car, but Alonso's not having the problems. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, exactly. Alonso is still pretty damn quick in that car yeah the car itself has dropped off a little bit yep but it's but you know he's still pretty quick in that car and stroll is just not extracting the same amount of performance out of the car as his teammate is able to now admittedly you know his teammate is a two-time world champion should have been probably closer to four maybe five championships for all the times that he's been runner-up in the driver's championship you have to look at it that alonzo's 40 strolls what 25 26 something like that you know so i mean it's like what he lacks in experience he still should be able to take makeup in better conditioning or although then again alonzo's conditioning is just ridiculous you know so it's like you know but like I said, at what point do they give, I don't remember who their reserve driver is, but at what point do they start giving him a look or at what point do they start looking outside of the team and say, it's time to bring in another driver as Alonzo's teammate. Yep. Somebody that can support Alonzo a little bit better. Yes. Him get placed a little bit higher. Yeah, exactly. So moving on to Alpine. Yeah. Gasly. (laughs) yeah well i mean it's like they had a you know they had a a solid weekend you know they qualified seventh and eighth on the grid you know which i mean both made it into q1 race time came home seventh and 12th you know so only ocon came home in the points gasly had a a few issues during the race i think at one point he had a tangle with i believe it was stroll where they they took bumped a little bit but all in all a pretty solid weekend for him nothing great nothing to write home about this is another team that i think has really because they're so far behind in the constructors i think that they're just doing the minimal updates to the car car the updates that were already planned are going to come online but i think that this is another team that's probably focusing on next year's car already that and the fact that they don't have a permanent team principal is also hurting them that ever since Otmar was released they're kind of a ship without a rudder they already had the momentum going that they're able to kind of keep things upright but it's starting they're starting to lose that momentum and they're starting to flounder a little bit I don't think we're going to see them lighting up the world in the remaining few races this year so on to Haas so this is a team that they are at the car has shown potential. We've seen some weekends where K-Mag and Hulkenberg have been able to qualify the car really, really well. That when they get the setup right over one lap, the car is very, very quick. 
Yeah. But the problem is, is that it's just, it's race is not there. And I think a lot of it comes down to aero. There are certain tracks that seem to suit the aerodynamics of the car better. And there are certain tracks that it does not suit the car at all. And so the race pace, it's not there. The tires degrade on that car so much faster. And I think a lot of it has to do with the arrow. I think some of it also has to do with the suspension geometry. I think that they got the geometry wrong and they just haven't been able to right the ship, if you yeah. will. You also talked about the last podcast, how it just eats tires too. So yeah, the tire yeah that's exactly is- it because... Yeah, yeah, because the arrow, you know, it seems to be that the more medium to high downforce circuits, because of the loads that get put on the tires on those type of tracks, it just seems to exacerbate the problems that the Haas has with tire degradation and with a general lack of race pace and even qualifying pace to a certain degree. Steiner says, we've dug ourselves a hole and it's going to take a lot for us to get out of that hole. I think that they definitely have an uphill battle. They're going to have to fight through. Now that they've got more in the way of sponsorship therefore they've got more money so hopefully they can start building up those resources that they need to make themselves more competitive now that gene haas is not writing all the checks for the team with this influx of cash that hopefully they can start building upon because they've got a solid base Mm -hmm. like i said we've seen at times the car can be oh yeah quite good you know over a single lap So now it's taking the lessons that they've learned of being able to be fast over one lap and doing it so that they can be fast over a series of laps, over a segment, you know, in the race. And eventually they can be, you know, fast over an entire race distance. And so I I definitely think that they have the potential. Now they just got to take and start utilizing it. So on to Williams and my favorite subject, at least for right now, Logan Sargent. He didn't look great, but he looked much better than what he has in the past. Yes. He looked relaxed, was driving well. He looked yes. like he deserved that seat. And this isn't on him. It's the track and where they are. It killed him. For him to say, I have to stop, you know it was really bad. If he had, well, he, he was telling Williams, hey, look, I can't do this right now. I got to yeah. stop. That's telling me that he was almost, <laughs> he was almost dead because yes. that kid has a work ethic. You'd say what you want about him. He is working his tail off to make sure that he gets that seat next year. And for him to say, I can't do this race right now, that one, I applaud his courage because there are many others that would have just said, I don't care if I pass out, I'm just going to go. But he had the courage to say, I can't do this. I have to stop. And he actually did. When he came in the pits, he couldn't even get out of the car. I know. That's how bad it was. I mean, he did try to soldier on. He was telling Oh yeah, most definitely. You know, the team had said, you know, hey, we noticed that you're not doing so well out there. And he said, yeah, this heat is killing me. And he even said over the radio and they played it on, the, you know, during the Sky Sports telecast that he even said, no, I don't want to retire the car because the team wanted him to retire the car. And he said, no, I want to I want to keep going. I want to keep going. I can do this. I can do this. Just trust me. I can do this. He finally got to the point where even he said, I can't do this. I can't. If I don't, I'm going to crash the car because I'm or in worse, just, crashing it. And I else. chalk that up to just him being a rookie. Some people will say this reflects badly on me for retiring from the race because of the conditions, but I'm going to do it anyway. At the same time, I think that the reason why he wasn't able to continue on in the conditions was just, again, it was just being a rookie and maybe his conditioning just wasn't quite there. I definitely guarantee you that his physio is now going to know what he needs to do for in the future. Sure. So, and we'll get into the conditions here in just a minute. Let's go ahead and finish up with AlphaTari and Alfa Romeo real quick. I'm going to jump to Alfa Romeo. Other than Botas leading early on in the race at one point, only because of the way that the pit stops worked out. And we'll get into that here in a minute after we finish talking about all the teams. We'll talk about the pit stops and the conditions and everything. So other than that, a pretty forgettable weekend for them. Not great. We'll just move on. Let's talk about AlphaTari real quick. During the preview last week, I had it on pretty good authority that Ricardo was going to really try to be in the car for the race. And then the next day we get the news that, nope, he's not. He's still out. (laughs) And Lawson's going to be back in. So. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I was wrong on that front. So <laughs> they're saying that Danny Rick should be back for the U.S. Grand Prix, but Lawson gets one more crack at it. And he kind of came back to earth on this yeah, weekend. He sure did, did not have a good weekend. And again, I chalked that up to, I think it was more the conditions and his conditioning is mm. the reason why he was barely able to bring it home himself. Yeah. So this is a weekend where he was completely outshined the entire weekend by Yuki, you know, and, like and you Yuki said, had a, had a pretty amazing. solid weekend, all things considered. I mean, not a great qualifying, but uh, sprint race, he did, he went pretty well. He came in and outside of the points for the, yeah. the race itself, but all in all, he had a pretty good run. That's yeah. that. Right. That's it for uh, AlphaTauri. At the top of the podcast, I talked about how we are in early October this year, and the race was run, but in 2021, when the race was run, it was late November when the race was run. So the conditions this time around were significantly hotter, much, much higher humidity levels. The heat and the humidity this time around was significantly higher. A couple of weeks ago during the Tech Corner, we talked about the evolution of the driver's suit. Karun Chandoff, who was in for Martin Brundle this week as the color commentator in the Sky for the Sky Sports broadcast, he had talked about this, how you know, you've got three layers of Nomex. Then you've got the layer of Nomex underwear on underneath it. And then you're inside the car where you've got the radiators are very close by. You have the fuel tank is usually right underneath your bum. You have all the electronics for the car are all surrounding you inside of the cockpit. That inside of the cockpit, it's roughly 50 degrees Celsius in there, which I forget what the the, uh, uh, the conversion uh, is. ish it's yeah it's so hot. it's yeah probably yeah so, so basically you're putting on a parka and then climbing into a sauna is basically <laughs> what what the, the the equivalent was and so we talked about liam lawson and we talked about stroll and we talked about sergeant all having a real problem with the conditions but they weren't the only ones there yeah. was a video that i saw yesterday that actually showed albon Alonzo, guys whose conditioning, who they've been in Formula One long enough that their conditioning is significantly better than the rookies. Even they were having a hard time getting out of the cars. Albon had to be treated by the FIA medical team wow, after the race. Um, yeah. You know, almost every single driver having a hard time with the conditions. Even Piastri, at one point, they even made the comment when Lando was talking to David Coulthard during the post-race interview, Piastri and Verstappen were both sitting all yeah. on the pedestal that Verstappen's car was parked on. They were both sitting down yep. because they were just that wiped out. And well, they were that, also sitting down in Verstappen's podcast. Yeah, they were. They really were. And, and I mean, to the point where Piastri was actually laying on the floor yep. but just because he was actually, I, I'm assuming that he was actually dizzy, which wouldn't surprise me because it's literally, you know, you just spent, you know, almost two hours in a freaking sauna wearing a parka. I can only imagine, I would love to, to see some stats about what the fluid loss was, oh, you know, no, for, no. for the individual drivers and stuff. Right. And thankfully, next time that they race at Qatar, it's going to move back to multiple weeks, which they're going to have to. I think the FIA cannot have a race in these kind of conditions ever again, because next time you are going to have some driver, they're going to pass out in the car. At one point, I believe it was Ocon actually threw up on himself inside of his helmet in the car because the conditions were so bad, but yeah. he soldiered on. If they hold a race in these kind of conditions again, it's going to result in somebody getting hurt. Yep. So, you know, I definitely think that the FIA really has to think about you know, they've called races because of monsoon-like rain and other conditions where it's just too dangerous. This is another time where the conditions were just too flipping dangerous for the drivers. Even with it being a night race, it was still too friggin' hot. And the FIA has said, yes, we are going to seriously look at what our protocols need to be around a situation like this, where if the race is, where if it is too hot we'll either have to reduce the race distance or cancel the race altogether yep. because over the sprint it wasn't that big of a deal because it was only 17 laps it was yep. only a, a third of what the full race distance was so it wasn't quite so bad but even then 
some of the drivers were still, you know, struggling with the conditions that it's definitely something that the FIA has said they're going to look at and they really need to put their money where their mouth is. Talking about the conditions, one of the other things that we have to talk about too is the tires. Because of the heat and the humidity and everything, the tires were degrading and literally shaking themselves apart that the FIA mandated with consultation from Pirelli they actually mandated that the tires could not do more than 18 laps total, which meant that wow. if, you know, when the teams fitted a set of tires to the car, they had to keep track of how many laps. So if the tire went on, that already had two laps on it, then that reduced the amount of laps that they could actually do out on track. And that was the reason why in this particular race, we actually had three pit stops among most of the teams, they had at least three pit stops. And there was a couple of them that I believe actually had four stops during the race, simply because of the limitations put in by the FIA in order to protect the tires during this race. So yeah. again, that's another situation where Pirelli is going to have to look at the construction of the tires that they brought, and they're going to have to really evaluate what they bring the next time to a really hot humid climate like Qatar. And then speaking of Pirelli, we got yeah. the announcement uh, on Monday that Pirelli has now been extended on their contract as the sole supplier of tires for F1 until 2027. Another four years yep. of Pirelli as the tire manufacturer for Formula One. So congratulations to them. I will admit that when Bridgestone pulled out and Pirelli became the sole supplier the first year or two tires were really inconsistent but i have to give props to pirelli that they really have come on and become a much better tire supplier for f1s that work that they've put in has definitely gone a long way towards helping them secure this contract extension so good on them i definitely would not like to see formula one become like all of the teams are still required to produce the majority of their own car i'm glad to see that there are multiple engine manufacturers in Formula One. And we've got more that are coming with Ford and Audi coming in 2026 with the, when the new rules come online for the power units. So I'm glad that we do have that diversity because that literally is the only contact point between the car and the road and the track is the tires. I'm glad that we do have that one tire supplier so that we do have that one consistency that's probably the most safety-related item. I think it's time to put it in the garage, pack it up, and head back to the factory. So we'll be coming to you next week with a preview of the u.s grand prix when the circus returns to the beautiful circuit of the americas at austin texas and then we'll come to you in two weeks when the grand prix actually comes down and we'll be talking about all the news the history of coda and we'll have another fascinating subject for our tech corner so for Corey brune i'm scott vick we'll see you next week thank you for listening to f1 break show if you have enjoyed what you heard, don't miss a single episode by hitting that subscribe button in your favorite podcatcher. Also, help us grow by sharing us with your friends and fellow F1 fans. We value your feedback and passion, so please take a moment to review our podcast. Your reviews help us grow and improve, and it means the world to us. Share your thoughts, rate us, and let us know how we can make the show experience even better. F1 Break Check is a production of Break Check Media. For your hosts Scott Dick and Corey Broom, until next time stay inside track limits, and try not to pitch it in the kitty litter.